Thank God for grace alone salvation. Thank God for grace alone salvation. I've had in my family, uh, I've had seven sisters and a couple brothers. One brother died right after birth. And uh, I've had three sisters that were Catholic. And uh, so I'm going to be talking about Roman Catholicism a little bit. Now, I don't want you to get all uptight if you're a Catholic. How many ex-Catholics do we have here today? Let me see your hand. There are several here today. And uh, I just want you to be open-minded. I want you to open your heart. What does God say about it? And uh, I was watching TV the other night, and I usually turn over to the Catholic channel from time to time. You might find that crazy, but I do. And I listen to the guys and what they're saying. And uh, whether they're priests or fathers or uh, whether it's the show Coming Home, whatever it may be, and I listen to what they're saying. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with testing your faith yourself so you know what you believe. And uh, so it's good to uh, see these things sometime and then analyze it, study the scriptures, and try to see what God has to say about it. And so I'm going to mention some things today. So uh, if it offends you, just, uh, just forgive this little fat preacher, okay? No problem. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace, salvation alone, amen? Now the Church of Rome, it has seven things they call sacraments, and uh, they are religious, sacred ceremonies. That's what a sacrament is. And by doing these sacraments, it's believed they dispense God's grace into an individual soul to help them to live supernaturally in a sense. They believe the acts, their acts change on the inside toward God when these sacraments are given to them. Now the seven sacraments, uh, sacred ceremonies, were initiated in the 12th century and then around 1439 A.D. They were formally decreed doctrinal truth. That's 1,400 years after Jesus Christ walked on this earth and gave himself on a cross. At the Council of Trent, for them, it was declared, if anyone saith that the sacraments of the new law, there at the Trent meeting, were not instituted by Jesus Christ our Lord, let him be anathema, let him be accursed a terrible curse upon them. Today, the Church of Rome holds that five of these seven sacraments are essential to salvation. Out of the seven, they exclude marriage and ordination. So, there are five sacraments that are associated for one to be saved, okay? The Council of Trent, in 1566 to 72 says this, if anyone says that the sacraments are not necessary for salvation and that without those sacraments men can obtain from God through faith alone the grace of justification or a right standing before God, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. The Church of Rome states that salvation through the sacraments is a lifelong process. It's lengthy, 
It's earned only after a lifetime of practicing the sacraments, doing these good works. Then after suffering in purgatory, then one goes to heaven. We could stop there and preach a little while, right? I understand. John Paul II said, man is justified by works and not by faith alone. I disagree with that. I believe a person can be justified without works. It's by faith. Uh, Titus 3, 5 says this, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It states this, why man, what he does, Romans 10, 3 and 4 says this here, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, which is by faith, and going about to establish their own righteousness, their own works, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And that's what people do. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that, what? Believeth. It's by faith and faith alone. Now, the first sacrament, the first sacrament is baptism. Uh, they say it's not to be repeated in that it washes away original sin. So if your original sin is washed away, you don't ever need to be baptized because your original sin has been washed away. <laughs> it also removes other sin and punishment by providing a spiritual rebirth, a regeneration. When one is baptized, the process of justification begins. Baptism is necessary for salvation, they say. The Roman Catholic Church apologist Carl Keating states this, the Church of Rome has always taught that justification comes through the sacrament of baptism. Baptism is a justifying act and affects a real change in one's soul. Now, does anybody have a problem with that? Huh? Okay, we all should, okay? First of all, one, my answer, salvation is by God's grace through faith alone and never by man's works. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. Romans 11, and if by grace, and it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You say, well, that's a play on words. It is, but it just means your salvation is either all of grace or all of works. And we know we can't work our way there. Amen? It has to be all of grace. And then also salvation in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the grace gospel, and it's not water baptism. 1 Corinthians 1.16 and I baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beside, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. In other words, Paul at that time, before he wrote his first book, he says, I'm not baptizing. And if you notice, he separates baptism from the gospel that saves an individual person, not water baptism. And then salvation is only by the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from our sin. That's the only way one can get saved today. 
Ephesians 1, 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Not water baptism, through his blood, according to the riches of his grace. Now, what does it mean to be redeemed? It means that Christ, through his finished work, his suffering, his pain, the cross, his shed blood, his life given for our sins, he reached down and purchased us with his ransom out of the slave market of sin to set us free so as never to return again. That's called redemption. Amen? To be redeemed. I love that. The second sacrament is that of confirmation. This is the act of a bishop laying his hands on the head of the person who's been baptized. This is for the purpose of conveying, giving the Holy Spirit to the person for spiritual power and gifts and seal, sealing them to the church of Rome. My answer to that is the Holy Spirit is given not by a human, but is given by God the Father to the one when they trust in what Christ has done for their salvation. Does that make sense? Ephesians 1.13 says this here. By whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel, death, burial, resurrection, Christ, of your salvation, and whom also after that you believed, you believed in the gospel, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And how long does he stay there that we have to worry about? Chapter 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed with that Holy Spirit until the day of redemption or until God takes you home. And so a person does not give you the Holy Spirit. It's God who gives you the Holy Spirit the moment you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. No human has the Holy Spirit at their command. Amen? The third sacrament is the Mass. The Church of Rome says Christ is re-sacrificed anew each time the Mass is taken. The Council of Trent says if someone says that in the Mass a true and real sacrifice is not offered to God, let him be anathema. 1935, Pope Pius XI said of the Mass, it's a real sacrifice which has real efficacy for the living and the dead. Huh? That's their own words now. The Church of Rome says this, it's called transubstantiation. You say, what in the world does that mean? The bread and wine are changed by the power of the priest at the time of consecration into the actual body and blood of Christ. The wafer, the host, which is, becomes by miraculous, the calling of the priest, Christ's body, is lifted up as a sacrifice for the sins of those individuals living and dead. The priest drinks the wine or the blood for the congregation. The church states this is the complete body and blood of Christ. 
I went to my niece's wedding one time in Beach Grove at Holy Name. And while I was there, they took communion before they got married. And he held it up and said, this is the body of Christ. I almost stood up. I didn't want to embarrass my family. I probably should have stood up. I must have been a wimp that day. I don't know. But I'm saying, no, it's not. It's not. Keating, one of their apologists, says, its saving power is applied and sacrificed of the mass affects the remission of sins with its punishment for sins. In other words, when they offer up Christ, somebody's beeping or something, fix your hearing aid or your wife, whichever it is. (laughs) And he said, when they hold it up, this is the body of Christ, they're continuing the suffering of Jesus Christ. Well, this is what I say about that. First of all, it's wrong, okay? That's not true. Eating flesh and drinking blood violates Genesis 9-4, violates the law, Leviticus 17-14, violates the condition at the council of Acts 15, 19, and 20. You see, Christ, when he was on earth, was under the law, and he fulfilled it perfectly. He didn't know this stuff. It's almost sounds like a form of cannibalism to me to be eating and drinking the blood of Christ. Where in Scripture do we find miracles that happen without seeing evidence? Where in the Scripture do you find miracles where you don't see any evidence? The wafer and wine are changed. Where's the evidence? Where is it? Three, how come Paul never uses the mass, not ever in his gospel presentation? Because it's not part of the gospel of Christ whatsoever. And the fourth big thing about this is it's a complete denial of the sufficiency of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. He doesn't need to be re-crucified and re-crucified and re-crucified. He did it once. And when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished, done. Amen? Look at these verses, Hebrews seven twenty-seven. Who needeth not daily, Christ doesn't, as those high priests who offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people, for this he did once when he offered up himself. Chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal salvation for us. Verse 25 nor yet that he should offer himself often. He says, no, as the high priests enter the holy place every year with blood. For then must he often have suffered 
since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once. Chapter 10, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You don't need it anymore when you believe. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of the Father. And verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Amen, amen, amen. One sacrifice, it was sufficient enough. And to say you have to re-keep, uh, redoing and keeping the sacrifice going on for your eternal life is a denial of the sufficiency of the once for all sacrifice. Amen. And then the next sacrament is penance. Now, penance is a sacrament, sacred ceremony, in which sins committed after one's baptism are forgiven by means of absolution of the priest. The priest gives penance after one's confession. This penance is to satisfy God for temporal punishment due for sins. Penance consists of outward acts such as reaping, uh, uh, repeating certain prayers many times, like say so many Hail Marys, do the rosary, have some self-inflicted punishments, fastings, pilgrimages, to shrine, some shrine somewhere. And they say this, this penance restores one to the process of justification and are actually saved again. My answer to that is, again, this denies what Christ accomplished on the cross, and Christ's work has for believers in the gospel, has forgiven, cleansed all of our past, present, future sins. There's no need for anything or anyone else to address our sins. They've already been addressed once for all time by Christ on the cross and the empty tomb. And again, what they're doing by having man do this, they're trusting in man's own outward works for salvation. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, and to all and up all them and all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a free gift. We just need to believe it. And the last sacrament, the last one is extreme unction. It's called extreme because it's administered to people thought to be near the end of life. The priest will come in and anoint that person's eyes, ears, nose, hands, and feet of the dying person with holy oil. Then the priest offers a prayer in Latin 
that offsets any sins committed. The best that the priest can do is to get that individual person into purgatory. There to suffer the pains of fire until they have been purged from all their uncleanness or until some loved one purchases enough masses to secure their release. Let me just say about us, Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We are no longer condemned. We're in Christ. He says, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, when you die... We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The moment you die as a believer, bam, your soul and spirit goes up to be with the Lord. Amen? Now, along with this, have you noticed the importance of the priesthood? The Council of Trent says this, the priest is the man of God, the minister of God. He that despiseth the priest despiseth God. He that hears him hears God. The priest remits sins as God. And that which he calls his body at the altar is adored as God by himself and the congregation. It is clear that their function is such that none greater can be conceived. Wherefore, they are justly called not only angels, but also God, holding, as they do among us, the power and authority of the immortal God. They say, without the priest, the death and passion of our Lord would be of no avail to us. You see their power? They go on to say, by one word from his lips, he changes a piece of bread into God, a greater fact than creation of the world, which they don't believe in the creation of the world. They believe in evolution as their pope has just recently again said. Amen? So have you noticed the priest in these five sacraments that's necessary for salvation? The priest baptizes for salvation. The priest confirms one to receive the Holy Spirit. The priest in the mass oversees the real body and blood of Christ. The priest in confession tells what penance to do for sins. And the priest gives extreme unction upon one's deathbed. You must have a priest from birth throughout life, even after death, seemingly if you're going to be saved. So, in my closing, what do I say about that? Hogwash, amen. Not to be disrespectful. We love people. I don't care what they are. We, we love people. And I'm sure there's wonderful, good people within uh, the Catholic system. It's the system that's bad. 
1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Verse 3. Forbidding to marry. Uh, commanding to abstain from meats. Used to be Friday, you could only eat fish. Remember that? Years ago. You know, that sounds kind of familiar to, to what's going on. But here's the big reason. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, not the priest, not a bishop, not a cardinal, not the pope, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's our mediator. He's our go-between. And because of him, we can go to the Father in prayer directly to him, needing no one else. Amen? Amen. And the third thing about this that I think is so important, why rightly dividing is so important. Now, don't miss this. We're in the dispensation of grace, and it's been going on since God saved the apostle Paul in Acts 9. It's been 2,000 years plus. One day, the body of Christ is going to be raptured up. We're going to be with the Lord. So don't miss this next one. In the dispensation of grace, there are no priests. There are no priests, let alone a priesthood. Amen? Paul never calls us a priest. We're better than that. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen? So why a priesthood then? It's simple, it's clear, it's understandable. I close with several verses here. 1 Corinthians 15, you've heard it. 13,000 million times. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preach unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also that gospel you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, unless you don't believe in the resurrection. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. That's speaking of the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death, his shed blood, his burial, his resurrection. That and that alone is enough. It satisfied the Father that it could save anybody, anytime, anywhere that Christ rose from the grave because the Father was satisfied with his one sacrifice forever. Amen? Romans 1.16 For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That's how powerful that gospel is. Verse 17. For therein the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. How? From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Within the gospel itself 
it talks about the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made Christ him to be sin for us, Christ who knew no sin, that we, when we believe, might be made the righteousness of God in him. When I believe in the gospel, within it is God's righteousness. And his righteousness then, when I believe, is placed to my account. Now God sees me as righteous. And it's because of me believing that gospel. Romans 4.25, who was delivered for our sins, offenses, and was raised again for our justification. Verse uh, 1, therefore being justified, how? How? By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not some cast work system. It's through the faith of the finished work of Christ alone that saves today. Now, the reason this is so important, and I want you to get a hold of this, if I believe in anything else than the gospel of grace, the finished work of Christ, I haven't believed the correct gospel. And thus, I'm still going to hell. I don't care how religious I am, what I do, I'm still lost. I don't receive forgiveness of sins, eternal life, until I believe that Christ's finished work is for me. And I believe that, not just the historic fact of it, that's true, but in the fact that that historic fact, him dying, was for my sins. And my sins alone, I feel. In my heart. For me. He loved me that much. And he loves you that much. And if you're here today and you've been trusting something else, it's time to put that aside. And it's time to embrace in faith the finished work of Christ. He accomplished it one time for all time. And if you believe in that gospel, he'll save you. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. And with our heads and our eyes closed, you want to be saved this morning? All you need to do is believe in the gospel. That's it. It's not walking an aisle. It's not joining a church. It's believing that gospel. Say something to God right where you are right now. Say something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I do believe with my heart that Jesus Christ is your son. He died for my sins and he was buried and three days later he arose. I believe that. I believe that and him is enough to save me right now. God, I tell you, I believe And if you told God that just now, in your heart, God says he saved you. 
if you believe that in your heart. How many would say, Pastor Jim, I want you to know that I just believed and I meant it. It was for me and I believed it. Just as a show of encouragement, a testimony, just raise your hand up right now. Just say, I believe. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, several raised their hands. Father, raising their hands doesn't save anybody. But believing in their heart what Christ and who he is and what he did, that's what saves. Thank you for these folks. Thank you that you give us the privilege of sharing this wonderful gospel truth. And I just pray now that they would begin to read your word, begin to get under the hearing of the truth, and that they would begin to grow the way that you want them to. We praise your name in Jesus' name. And everybody said? We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you as our prayer.